You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. We're going to talk about what I think is probably the toughest aspect of parenting, what is the most difficult to live through, and also the most difficult to talk about and look at in Scripture. Because today we're going to talk about the aspect of parenting, discipline. We're going to be talking about discipline and punishment, and how God's Word leads us to use discipline and punishment to lead our children towards the Lord. Now, God's Word has a lot to say about discipline, and if you're just kind of somewhat familiar with what the Bible says about discipline, you may be trying to get ahead of me and cut me off. You have already determined in your mind where I'm headed, and you don't want to hear me. So let me say a couple of things before we we get to the text. First of all, uh, I want you to realize uh, that we gather every Sunday morning and we look to the Bible for our instruction and guidance because we believe that it is ancient truth, not just the gathering of wisdom through the generations, but actually the words of God spoken through men as He inspired them. So we believe that God's Word not only holds infinite amount of wisdom gathered through the generations, but rather beyond that, we believe that it holds divine wisdom, divine truth. And so it may be that you have some good uh, advice that's handed down from generation to generation in your family. It's solid advice. It's good instruction. It develops your character. It's valuable. God's Word is, is beyond that. Because God's Word is not just the passing down of wisdom from person to person. It is the passing down of wisdom from God to man. And so for that reason, when we look to the Scriptures, we're looking to what God has to say to us. And the weight of authority of God's Word is well established in our lives and the lives of believers through millennia. And beyond that, I want you to see this morning that what Scripture encourages us to do, instructs us to do here in Proverbs, is pragmatic. It works. Now, there are times in life that we have to look at what Scripture says and look at what is most convenient or most ideal in society, and then we have to say, okay, I recognize that maybe this isn't pragmatic in most people's view, but I've got to stick with God's Word. I can't approach this pragmatically. I've got to stick to the Scripture. But I believe that this is an occasion where what God's Word says is the most pragmatic approach to parenting. Now, it may not be the most culturally common. And if this morning you find yourself disagreeing with what God's Word says about discipline and raising children, I'd like to invite you to to challenge your preconceived notions about parenting. I'd like for you to think about where did you get your firmly held philosophy on raising children, disciplining them? Because I think for many of us, we find ourselves simply doing what is common in the culture, what is normal in our world right now, and that is not a good source of information. I think you can look around and see that that the culture doesn't have it all figured out, right? I think that you can just watch the evening news tonight, and after a couple news stories, see that maybe the world isn't headed in the best of directions, so I don't want to just go along with whatever it is that our culture is saying. 
And so while what I say may be countercultural today, I believe that I'll show you that it's based upon God's Word. It actually works. And I hope that you'll be willing to test your preconceived notions and philosophies about parenting with the, the same rigor that I'm going to try to give to presenting this information from God's Word. To kind of give you a, a hint at what I'm talking about, I saw a graphic with a quote just a couple of weeks ago that said out, flatly out this. It said, Strict parents teach their children to lie because the child learns to avoid getting in trouble. That was the basic premise. That a strict parent encourages lying in the children because the children are afraid to get in trouble, so they get really good at lying to stay out of trouble. All right? Can I just tell you that that, that might be the dumbest thing that I've ever heard? Okay? All right? Um, I'm sure that when a parent is strict, that there is a temptation to lie, but just as much as a parent is strict in all areas of life, they should be strict about honesty and teaching their children integrity. Now, here, here's what, just I, I disagree with what was said, but here's what was really frustrating to me. It was just a quote that was stated with no attribution, no research, not affiliated or tied to any person. It's just, it's out there, okay? And there are many things that they have no, no attribution, no foundation, no research, no study, that it is just the commonly held idea by our culture about, what it, about raising children. The truth is that most of us spend our lives mimicking culture, doing what's culturally normal, doing what's culturally expected or commonly accepted. And I want to challenge you to, to, to buck that trend, to parent differently. And if you follow God's Word and how it tells us that we are to raise our children, it's probably going to be considered weird by a lot of people. Okay, But I like what Craig Groeschel has said. Pastor Craig Groeschel has said, I'm weird because normal doesn't work. Okay, And what's normal in our culture right now isn't working. So I'd encourage you to try being weird. Now, I'm not saying let's be weird for being weird's sake. Okay, But when it comes to the culture, let's not just, well, this is what everybody else is doing, so this is what I'm going to do. Let me also say an introduction. I am no expert. I am a fellow parent. For those of you that are parents this morning, I'm right there in the boat with you, okay? My children are seven and four, so the jury is still out on my parenting skills, okay? I can't stand before you and say, listen, you need to do it like I do it because my kids are awesome, all right? My, my, my children are still small. They're still young. You know, even if they were 27 and 34, I wouldn't be able to stand before you and say, I'm an expert. I'm just with you in the middle of this. And so I'm no expert this morning. I'm simply going to try to be a guide for us today. And the reason I'm standing up here talking and not some of the more experienced parents in the room is because I've given my life to studying the ancient truth, God's word that I talked to you about earlier, and trying to exegete it, to uncover it in a way that is commonly understood by us so that you can take the truth that's in God's Word, apply it to your lives in a way that makes a difference in the way that you live this afternoon. Right? That's what I've given my life to. Okay? So it's not because I'm an expert, it's just because I've given my life to studying the map. And I'm on this journey with you, okay? trying to show you the way because I've given my life to studying this map. All right? And so I'm, I'm with you on this journey. My, 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 my life is not perfect. My parenting is not perfect. Okay? I've tried my best to set myself up to be a good guide, but that doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes, okay? So let me give you an example of how I'm still struggling in my parenting, okay? 
It's been a couple weeks now, but you know, my, my wife is a, is a kindergarten teacher at Newbury Christian School, and so she has to be at work pretty early. So we get the kids up every morning at 6 a.m. Uh, it, I, I go in and I wake the kids up, and I, I make their breakfast, and I help them start getting dressed and brush their teeth. Uh, and then my wife is done getting ready, and we kind of we kind of sh- switch roles. And uh, I go to start getting ready, and she uh, she finishes up with the kids. Okay, um, and so I had done my part, and the kids had eaten breakfast, and they were getting dressed. And so I walked away thinking they're ready to go. All right, I I get dressed, I get ready, I come out of the bedroom to find just absolute pandemonium and chaos. All right. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you details so you know that this is not my fault. It's my wife's fault. You can talk to her about it later, okay? <laughs> All reason I'm brave enough to say that is because she's in kids' ministry right now. Um, but what I, came, what I came into is my daughter is having an absolute meltdown. And I'm like, oh, no, what's happened? And this regularly happens to me, okay? I, I come on the scene of just an absolute meltdown, and I think something is really wrong. And I found out that nothing is really wrong, Okay? I'm like, what is wrong? And Haven, my seven-year-old who, who's, who's quiet, but she's also got a very strong will, and she's very particular about things, she is upset because she cannot get her shoes to tie where the loops are the same length. Okay? <laughs> and as I often do in my parenting, I said, really? Now, I wish that I could say that I, I, I looked at my daughter and I, I got eye contact and I said three magic words to her and she immediately did what she needed to do and she was ready to go out the door. But what in reality happened is 15 minutes later, she's crying. I'm at my wits end and I'm about to say, hey, Nicole, just go to work. I will bring her later with Velcro shoes that I go buy from the store. <laughs> so I, I'm in the middle of this with you. Um, my parenting is not perfect. My kids are not perfect. And, 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 and while I'm here, can I just pause a second? My kids are PKs. That means they're preacher's kids. They're the pastor's kids. That means that they, they are on display more than any other kids. That means that a lot of you really, you know of them, but you don't know them, and so there's expectations of them. Please show my kids grace. Please show them grace, because they're not going to be perfect. And please show me grace in my parenting, because I'm not going to be perfect. But having established that, I, I want to try to guide you through this, okay? Um... I want you to see what, what Proverbs tells us in, in chapter 13 is that our parenting is to be active, all right? And you've probably heard the, the, the phrase or the, 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 the proverb or the, 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 the wisdom of spare the rod, spoil the child. And a lot of people think that that is in Scripture, those words are not in Scripture, but they were probably inspired by the verse that we are about to read, okay? In Proverbs 13 and verse 24. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says this, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. We're in the middle of how you, are all, how you always meant to parent. That's our, that's our, that's our, our series. And the ending of that phrase is actually a verb. How you always meant to parent, how you always meant to act as a parent. And I think that many times right now, we think of parent as simply a noun. You're familiar with a noun? It's a person, place, or thing. It's a title. And we think of parenting as a status. A parent is someone who has custody. A parent is someone who's had a kid. And while parent is a title or a status, it is also a verb. Parent is a verb. 
And parenting is not just something that is a passive status that we have. It is something that we are to act in. And while our society thinks that if you have a kid, you are a parent, I want to tell you that from what I see in God's Word, that does not make you a parent. That having a child does not make you a parent. It's, it's pretty easy to make a baby. I'm not going to go into the details of that right now, but it's, that's pretty simple in comparison to raising a child. And the, the word parent comes from the idea of fostering up or raising up. And so parent literally means to raise up a child. It's not to bring a child into the world, but to lead a child in the world. Last week I talked to you about being on the path with your child. That's what parenting is. And so while you may be biologically a parent or legally a parent, if you have offspring, you have reproduced, what Scripture seems to indicate is that you are a parent when you raise a child. When you raise a child, when you foster a child. And I know that some of you right now, you are acting as a parent even though you are not biologically a parent. Are you acting as a parent to someone whose biological parents are not present, either physically or actively playing a role in their life? I want you to know that God's Word refers to you as the parent, the one who's raising up that child. I know that there's some people in the room that, that you biologically, genetically, your grandma or grandpa, but functionally, your mom or your dad. And I want you to know that the church wants to encourage you, and God's Word has advice for you, and it considers you to be the one that's raising up that child. So it's an active verb. To help you understand what I'm saying, let me, let me give you a hypothetical situation that is probably so outlandish that it would never happen in real life, but... You go to the playground with your kids, and there's another group already there. There's an adult and three children already there. And it seems that the adult is the parent of those children. But when you arrive at the playground, you notice that while the adult remains close to the children, wherever they are in the playground, shadowing them, staying near to them, the adult never intervenes in the actions of the children. So while your children are playing on the playground, these other children come and they begin to dump mulch on the heads of your kids. And the other parent just stands there and watches. It's probably never happened, right? It happens all the time. Because while someone who is technically a parent, they're not acting as a parent. Okay? And parent is a verb. Parent is action. Parent is stepping in and acting. Another one of the kids cuts your child off to go down the slide, never waiting in line. Meanwhile, the adult is watching closely, still hovering, but never intervenes. This person may have custody of children, may be legally responsible for children, may have biologically reproduced children, but they are not parenting children. They are no more a parent than the guy sitting on the couch eating chips and watching the Super Bowl is a quarterback. Watching your children as they do whatever it is that they do is not parenting. Intervening and taking action to train them, to reward them for good behavior, to punish them for bad behavior, that is parenting. Parent is not a status or an occupation. It's not a role. It's a responsibility. 
Now, here's what, here's what happens right now in our culture, okay? That kind of thing that I just, that hypothetical situation that I just laid out for you, it happens. And because the parent recognizes that they should do something, but they don't know what to do, they laugh at what their child has done nervously. Oh, Jimmy, don't do that. Why are you, why are you pouring mulch on that kid? Don't do that. And it, it is easier and more comfortable in that situation for them to pretend that what they're doing, what their child is doing, is funny, and it is not. And if you find yourself laughing at bad behavior that your child does, that's not parenting. That's observing. That's watching. Now, I've got to tell you, there are times that I know that I need the parent, but I'm also laughing at what my kid just said. Lincoln says some of the craziest things. And there are moments that I think it is so funny. But I know that my role right there is not to laugh, but to intervene. Because here's what I have experienced, all right? Let me, let me show you where some of my imperfections. He said things that he shouldn't have, and I've laughed at it instead of intervening. He thinks, oh, that's funny. I'm going to repeat that to everyone, <laughs> right? And I apologize if he said some of those things to you. What I have done is I have rewarded bad behavior with my laughter. Okay? It's for this reason that Proverbs says what it does about discipline. Because when we just sit back and do nothing, we are actually being counterproductive. Because when you sit back and do nothing or you laugh nervously, your child is no psychiatrist and they cannot intuit that you are socially awkward about correcting them in front of others and you don't know what to do, so you're not doing anything. They can't figure out what that means. They can't figure out that, oh, this is not good behavior. So Proverbs says that you need to be active in your discipline. For that reason, Proverbs 13, 24 says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth betimes. You know what Scripture is telling us? When we make it very clear that what our kids are doing or not doing is unacceptable, we're making it clear to them how they should act. And as a parent, our most, our most pressing responsibility is to give them direction. And when we sit back, we're not giving them any leadership. So parenting is not who you are. Parenting is what you do. And discipline is what loving parents do. Parenting is not what you are. Parenting is what you do. And discipline is what loving parents do. Now, I know for some of you that statement is tough. Because what you are hearing me say right now is not what I actually said. Okay? What I said, let's, let's be really clear about what I said. I said the parent is not what you are, it is what you do. And loving parents discipline their children. That's what I said. But you may have heard some version of, if you love your kids, you'll beat them. Okay? <laughs> because many people have this mindset that what Scripture teaches is to beat your kids into submission so they'll do what you tell them to do. That is not what Scripture is teaching. Discipline is more than punishment. Discipline is more than punishment. 
So when I say discipline is what loving parents do, I'm not saying that punishment is what loving parents do, and I'm definitely not saying that punishment is all that loving parents do. I'm saying discipline is what loving parents do, and a part of discipline is punishment. I want you to notice at the end of that proverb, you still got your Bible open, look at Proverbs 13, 24. I want you to notice that what he says, he does not say, but he that loves his child whips him constantly or spanks him with the rod constantly or even punishes him regularly. Rather, it says, chastens him betimes. Okay? So here we've got some old English phrasing. Chastens him betimes. What does that mean? It says, he who loves him disciplines diligently corrects regularly. The idea of chastise is to correct or instruct them. To chastise your child, you may not have to discipline them or punish them. You may just have to give them a look, right? And by the way, the more you are faithful in punishment, the more power your look gets, friends. Let me just tell you, okay? That look begins to mean something. It becomes clear what it means. And so the proverb says, those who refuse to intervene in their child's behavior don't truly care about their kids, but rather care most about what's convenient for them. And there are times that we are tempted to not intervene because we're not sure what other people are going to think or what other people are going to say. And in that moment, we are choosing the perspective or perception of other people over our children. Do you get a hold of that? In that moment, we're saying, oh, I'm afraid what other people will think, so I'm not going to intervene. Proverbs says those who refuse to intervene in their child's behavior don't truly care about their kids, but those who do love their kids correct and instruct them early and often and with purpose. So discipline is more than punishment, okay? It's directing the child onto the right path. It's instructing them the right thing to do. This takes constant and diligent work. Let me repeat that. This takes constant and diligent work. How constant and how diligent? How constant and diligent do you have to pay attention when you drive? That's how constant and diligent you need to be when you're parenting. Right now we have, we have an epidemic of texting and driving, right? Why is it a problem? Because just a couple of seconds of not paying attention what is ahead of you on the road when you're driving a heavy vehicle 70 miles per hour is dangerous, right? Can I tell you that, that the, the consequences for your child and the value of your child much greater than any scenario where you are distracted from driving when we are not directing and guiding and steering our children on the right When I, was, uh, when I was in college, my friend and I, Danny Webster, we were, we were close, and one time we pulled a prank on some people we were riding with. I was sitting in the back seat, and I'm pretty sure Nicole was sitting next to me, and there were actually two other people next to her, so we had four people in the back seat of the car. I was much thinner, Nicole was as thin as she is now, and so that, could, that was possible. Then there were two people in the front seat, and then Daniel. So we had, like, I think, seven people in this car. And he's driving, we're going down the interstate, and I said, Daniel, let me be your eyes for you. And I reached up and I covered his eyes while he's driving. And I was saying, all right, stay a little bit to the right, a little bit to the left. Now, what do you think everybody else in the car was doing? They were panicking, right? Now, now here's what they didn't know, okay? When I covered his eyes, I didn't cover them like this. I covered them like this so he could see. But from where they were sitting, they didn't know that. From where they were sitting, it looked like he was absolutely blind 
and was just going off of what I said. And they were terrified. So they're screaming, and we're laughing, right? Because they think that we're in a dangerous situation here. Can I be honest with you? I am so concerned. Because I feel like all around me, in our culture, in our world, are people who nobody's looking through the windshield. Nobody is paying attention to where this child is headed. There are all these warning signs. And nobody's grabbing hold of the wheel. Nobody's acting. And that's what Scripture is talking to us about here. A parent who loves their child, a father who loves his son, a mother who loves her daughter, will intervene, will grab a hold of the wheel, will give them instruction, will chasten and instruct them betimes, often, regularly. Discipline is more, in punish, is more than punishment, but discipline is not less than punishment. Discipline is more than punishment. It often requires punishment. Young children need to be taught boundaries. They need to be taught what is inappropriate and what is appropriate. Young children need to be taught their place in your family, in our society, in our world. And if young children are taught these boundaries and roles, they will be served well when they are old enough to rationalize and think logically about the boundaries and about their role in your family and in our society. But here's the problem. Kids need to start learning these boundaries and roles long before they're able to think logically. Have you ever tried to reason with a two-year-old? It, it, it's like negotiating with the terrorist, okay? Okay. You cannot reason with a two-year-old. But, but so many times, what do we find ourselves doing? Arguing with our child, it's not a big deal which loop of your shoelace is bigger than the other. Just put it on. doesn't matter how convincing my argument is. Listen, I communicate with people on a regular basis. It's my living. I regularly put together messages to be compelling and convincing. I cannot reason with a small child. No one can. And so the only way that you will be able to teach these appropriate boundaries and these appropriate roles in society is through actions. Because while a two-year-old, while a toddler cannot logic out a reasonable argument, they understand actions. They understand actions. Two-year-olds don't understand reason, but they do understand actions. And if you act to show them what is permissible and what is not, you will help them learn their boundaries and their place. And by the way, they want to know their place. They want to know their boundaries. They're constantly testing them because they want to know where they stand. They want to know what is permissible. And they will keep pushing the envelope until it finally doesn't give anymore so that they know where the boundary is. Uh, you know, we say all the time, my kids are really testing me. They, that's actually what they're doing. They're absolutely testing us to see how far they can push it. And through our actions and our responses, through our discipline and even our punishment, we show them where the boundaries are. And you know what's true about your toddler, your five-year-old, your seven-year-old, your 16-year-old? You know what's true about them? The same thing's true about them that's true about you. We are all born thinking the world is all about us. 
and that we should get whatever we want. You know how I know that? Because every person that I've ever dealt with has some innate sense of that. It's called their sin nature. We're broken and we have this desire to do the wrong thing. And it is something that we will struggle with for our entire lives. When you come down to the very just basic premise of it, that's what I'm dealing with at the Warwick County Jail. That's what I'm dealing with in counseling sessions. It's that same thing that pushes a young child to push the boundaries, test their parents. And it is so much easier to teach them when they're two than when they're 32. Unfortunately, because of the inaction of parents, Many toddlers have come to fully believe that they are indeed in charge of the world. And I'm not exaggerating. And that nothing is off limits. And if you intervene to tell them that, no, you can't play in the street. No, you can't turn on my car. No, you can't climb on top of the television. It does not compute. Because in their mind's eye, what do you mean? Don't you know who I am? This is all about me. But here's what happens to a parent who doesn't discipline. A child is absolutely confused about their place. They continue to push limits. They continue to push boundaries. They continue to test their parents. And finally, the parent snaps. Discipline requires punishment, but it never requires rage or abuse. Discipline requires punishment, but it never requires rage or abuse. And if we don't discipline well, we will find ourselves hanging by a thread, ready to snap. And I would much rather your child find the boundaries before you become emotionally unstable. Your child will push you to the point you are emotionally unstable. They will continue to test you. So don't allow it to get to that place before you stop them from pushing you over the edge. Parents become frustrated with their children because the child has become to believe that based upon the actions of everyone around them, this is all about me. I can do what I want. They run their parents ragged like slaves. They've become a tyrannical dictator in your home. And they run the world. And you are to live at their beck and call. You don't want to get up at 3 a.m.? Too bad. I want to watch Elmo now. You want me to go to bed at 8? No way. I'm staying up. You want me to eat these vegetables? Forget it. I want cake. And when they run the world, that, those are the kind of decisions that they're going to make. And why wouldn't they? If I lived in a world where I could stay up as late as I wanted and sleep as late as I wanted and eat whatever I wanted and face no consequences. And so this pushes an adult until they snap. And then the punishment is not motivated by love and its purpose is not instruction. But the punishment then is motivated by rage and its purpose is retaliation. And do you see the difference? When we are disciplining for the purpose of instructing our child, it's motivated by love. But when we are just so sick and tired of them that we retaliate against them, then our discipline is motivated by rage. And it is no, longer, no longer has the purpose. 
that it was intended to have. Constructive punishment is motivated by love. Abuse is motivated by anger. I like what psychologist Jordan Peterson calls the minimum effective force. Some of you say, well, he's, he's a Baptist pastor, so he probably thinks we need to have you know, a huge belt on the wall that, that we used to just beat our kids with. You know what, I, I think you need to use the minimum effective force. What does that mean? Minimum means the least amount that you can, but enough that it's effective. That it's effective. If it's not changing behavior now, it's too little. So the consequences need to increase. The minimum effective force similar to the idea of a minimum effective dose. In other words, that's when a doctor gives you just enough medicine to make you better, but not so much medicine that it brings about side effects. How much discipline should you use? The minimum amount necessary to provide your child with instruction, but not so much that it brings about side effects. And you know what the truth is? All of our kids are different. Both of my children are different. And they go through different phases. I'm in a phase right now with my son, and, and I hope it lasts forever, but I doubt it will. I'm in a phase right now that I can look at Lincoln and I can say, Lincoln, and he just melts. That's all it takes. Now, it, it wasn't always that way. And we're there because there has been some corporal, physical punishment previously. But because I have introduced that form of discipline, I'm now able to use a minimum effective amount of force. My father um, is a strong man. And when I was about seven or eight, he became very unpopular among my friends and my cousins. Because my father, he's handy, and he constructed a wooden paddle. It was about this big, had a long handle on it, and the end of it had holes drilled in it for like perfect aerodynamics. And he put a hole in the very top of it, in the handle, so that it could hang on a prominent place in our kitchen. So you always knew where it was at. So people would come over to our house and they would go, wow, Rick, can you make me one of these? And he would say, absolutely. And he would make one. And suddenly my dad is very unpopular with my friends and my cousins because my dad's making paddles for all their parents. I asked my dad to send me a picture of that paddle. He still has it. It's been a few years since he's used it on me. But he still has it. And he sent me a picture. He goes, if you show this to your people, they're going to think some really bad things about me. Because it, it's, it's intimidating. But you know what? In all of my childhood, I never remember a moment where my father used that paddle and I had any con confusion about whether or not he was angry with me. I never felt that he used it in anger. Whenever he disciplined me, whether it was corporal punishment, whether it was being grounded, whether it was a look, he always made sure that I knew exactly why I was in trouble and what the action should be. Now, here, here's what happens if we don't discipline our kids, okay? Your kids drive you crazy all morning, pushing boundaries, doing things that they shouldn't, 
and then they do something small and you snap. And when you snap, they don't understand that they're getting in trouble for everything that's happened over the last four hours. They just know about the thing that they just did. And they don't connect it with the rest of that. Whenever I got in trouble, my father would sit down and talk with me. He'd tell me why I was in trouble, why I was being punished, what he expected to be differently, and then he always delivered that classic line, Daniel, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And I'm not sure that I ever believed that. <laughs> Let me give you just... Let me give you three quick reasons why discipline works, okay? Why, why punishment is loving. I'm just going to skip over some stuff here. Let me come to the end. Number one, children with firm parents have less fear. Children with firm parents have less fear. Studies have shown that firm parents raise children who have less anxiety. Did you know that right now, in children between the ages of 7 and 18, it is the highest rate of depression and anxiety than we've ever recorded? Children with firm parents have less fear, less anxiety. If you raise a child afraid that you're going to hurt their feelings, you will raise a child with weak emotional stability, and anything threatens their emotions. You'll raise them without the ability to respond to the difficulties of life. And by the way, life is difficult. And if we live afraid to hurt their feelings, they will grow up with feelings that can never be hurt, or it's the end of everything. If you raise your children and they can push you around, they come to believe that they're the dictator, they're the, the tyrannical dictator of your home, while they'll enjoy it because they get to do whatever it is they want, they will always wonder, who's really in charge around here? Am I really in charge around here? Is this my responsibility? Who wouldn't be anxious if you're living in a household live run by a four-year-old? Secondly, children with firm parents, listen to this, okay? Children with firm parents have more friends. Researchers have found that parents who are able to control their emotions and raise their children to be emotionally stable, these children are seen by teachers to be more socially skilled, have fewer behavioral problems, be more effective learners, have better achievement scores, and even more likely to make friends among their peers in school. Why? Because when you go to the playground and a child dumps mulch on your kid's head, you don't invite that kid over to your house. If a child runs everything, if they think that they are in charge of everything, kids don't want them to play with them because they try to run every game that they play. We call this being bossy. You want your children to be able to build relationships, have friends. I'm not saying be popular, but I'm saying just be able to have friendships. Show them their place in the world. Show them their role in the world. If your child is a mini-terrorist, they're not going to be on the invite list. You say, oh, that, that's not fair. They should invite my kid. Everyone should be invited. That's not the way the world works. And I wish I could tell you that everyone treats everyone fairly, but that's not the way that it works, okay? And so the best way that you can prepare your child for the world as it is, as it stands right now, is to be firm with them and discipline them. 
It is the best for their personal development, the best for their social development. And then thirdly, and, and, and I could go into Emotional Intelligence, a book that was written years ago and changed the way that many educators educate children. It covers all of this material. It talks about parents who they did this game where they would, the, the children would play this video game. It was way too hard for a child their age, and the parents had to give them instructions, and they would watch as the parents lost their cool, and they couldn't give clear instructions, and that child, they could tr- trace, track their progress as they made their way through school. I'm, I'm not just giving you my opinion. These are studies written about in, in 12 Rules for Life and Emotional Intelligence. It's, it works to give your children intervention, to show them the way, to lead them, to instruct them. I'm not saying to do so in anger. Scripture gives us many indications that parents are not to provoke their children to wrath. Ephesians chapter 6 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Colossians 3.21 says, Do not constantly provoke your children to wrath. You will cause them to lose spirit or discouragement. Just as all of us are probably uh, familiar with someone who has never been corrected in their life, we know those that have been absolutely crushed and they have no spirit and no personality because they've lived with a dictator, an angry father who smashes every bit of personality out of them. That's not what I'm talking about. They should see in us a parent who is loving and instructing. And the third reason to be firm with your children is because when we do that, we predispose them to believe in a God who is both righteous and loving. Because that's who our God is. He is a God who demands righteousness, but loves us. <coughs> For many people, that, those, those two ideas don't compute. They're opposite ends of the spectrum. In truth, they're actually two sides of the same coin. Our God is a holy God who expects us to be righteous and have integrity, but he is also a loving God who has shown us grace. And when, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and the sins of mankind were poured out upon him, that was the most extreme punishment that had ever been doled out in the history of the world but he was also the ultimate representation that our God is a holy God who is also loving. Because while he expects us to be righteous, he in his love provided a way for us to be made righteous in the sacrifice of his son. You know what Jesus did on the cross? He took the whipping that every one of us have earned. That's what he did. He stood in our place. And when we show our children that we can love them but also be firm, we're giving them a picture of the Father who did the same for us. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.